Matthew chapter 7. And let's begin reading 15 down through verse 20. We were there last week. We're on the Sermon on the Mount, that part of the Sermon on the Mount which warns us about deception and falsehood. And let me say this. I'm in no hurry to rush through this particular point because of the prominence of Scripture in addressing falsehood and deception. When you start studying the subject and you look at all the cross-references, you find that in the New Testament there is a lot to say about false brethren, false confidence, false teaching, false prophets, false men, false doctrine. It just it occurs so often, and the effects of it, and, and the warnings against it. And I guess the last words of Jesus in Matthew 24, he says, Take heed and beware that no man deceive you. So it is a subject that is a big deal, and yet it seems like so many people have little appetite for such a warning. But it is so important. It is so important. Verse 15, he says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down, and cast into the fire. Wherefore, or by this, or therefore, by their fruits, ye shall know them. That is, the false prophets, or falsehood. As we said last week, that there are people we are warned about. They're not prevented from coming into our lives or into our way of life. They're called false prophets. They look like us. They talk like us. They seem to fit in with us. But the Bible says inwardly on the inside, they are ravening wolves. They are after you. And the whole point of falsehood is control. I think it's governed by a spirit of witchcraft. And a spirit of witchcraft, when it operates, its design is to control people. Whether it's a woman trying to control her husband or vice versa or their children or vice versa. It's control. And it stems from something that is not of God. It's a spirit other than the Holy Spirit that rules in these people's lives. But false prophets are disguised as one of us. They're like angels of light. They can, they're transformed, the Bible says, into angels of light. And you cannot tell by looking at a false prophet that he's false. You cannot always tell by what they say that they're false. Not all false prophets just begin to blurt out false doctrines. Sometimes their doctrines are pretty good. But their life, their fruit, their behavior, the result of their actions are false. This is the fruit that he, that he speaks of here. And there are three facts in, taken from last week to begin tonight. There are three facts that are very evident concerning falsehood. One is that it exists. It is everywhere. And secondly, it exists in the church. For the warning was not by Jesus to the world, but it's for those in the church. Paul warned the elders at Ephesus in Acts 20. He said, for from among your own selves shall ravening or grievous or whatever kind of a Wolves shall arise, speaking perverse things. And they shall try, as Peter writes about, they shall try to make merchandise of you. Their design is to capture your affections, disarm your suspicion, and then control you by what they say and what they do until you have an allegiance to them you can't really get rid of. And you find that so often in religious systems. And there are people who are loyal. We've seen how many news clips in the last 30 years about some cult following in which people follow a leader, and he's got a 12-year-old wife. They live in some compound, and you would think, can't they see that? And the answer is no. 
because they're blinded. It's a spirit. Any spirit other than the Holy Spirit, when it operates in somebody's life, the person is deceived. When the person is deceived, they can't, they can't see the truth. They have found what they wanted, and that's, that's what they get. And thirdly, the effect of falsehood is twofold. One, it is ruinous and damnable or damning. You can lose your soul by following falsehood to wherever it's going, or secondly, to what degree that it's had its effect upon you, uh, it spoils you, it robs you. It's damning in the sense that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, I think in verse 15, he talked about the Pharisees and the scribes, and he said, you know, this is the effect that you have on those whom you convert or you proselytize or make like you or make into your system of religion. When you're through with them, when you have fully indoctrinated and, and got them where you want them, he said they are twice-fold children of hell. In other words, the way you're training people and the way people are being led and follow the, what they're following makes them a child of, of hell. Now, that's ruinous and damning. And then, of course, there are people who have attached themselves to something. They're robbed, like in Colossians 2 and verse 8. He said, beware lest any man spoil you. It didn't mean take your soul or lose your life forever. It just simply means that you're getting robbed in this life. God's richness and abundance that he offers to his people is realized by so few. And there's such a deception in that area, even today, that if you talk about abundance or prosperity or blessings and, and the wonderful benefits of God, people think you're some kind of a cult person yourself because so many people today are preaching for money, preaching for money. They're covetous, as Paul writes. And so anybody that says things like that is labeled as one of them, and that's not true. How many of you know there is a truth? The devil wants you to think that any talk about that truth means you're wrong. As we grow, obviously, as we grow, we begin to see. The real danger in a church with Christian people is that they're not discerning. They're really not paying attention to what God says in the life that is around them. Remember Paul wrote, he says, you have need, again, that somebody teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. Remember that in Hebrews 5? That's where Christians, that's as far as they get. That's as far as they get, and that's all they can handle is the ABCs of Christianity. They go to church more as, a, more as a routine or a duty, more so than a learning, growing experience. They settle for little or nothing, and they're not taught much, so they don't get much. And when they are taught much, they kind of get, you know, full of it, and or it's preaching too long, and, and, and they sort of kick it out of their hard drive. Or the Bible talks about the, the elemental spirits or things we spoke about last Sunday, that, you know, there's this thing about don't, don't get into all that theology stuff. Don't get into all that stuff. And don't talk about the devil. And don't talk about all the things. It, you know, that kind of makes me feel irky. So consequently, they grow up in the Christian life with their eyes shut, having a concept of Christianity that is nothing more than attending church, singing songs, and having good feelings about people. And while all of that's good, you and I both know there's far more to that than just doing, doing that. There's a lot of really kind and nice people that have been deceived simply because they did not know what was going on. And didn't, doesn't the Bible say somewhere that my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge? See, God doesn't prevent destruction. Now, a lot of people think, oh, he wouldn't let that happen. Well, he would. He would. You've got to live a life, not just take for granted that if it says in the Bible it works. You've got to believe it. And if you don't believe it just because you read it, because you've, you read some of these things and you think, well, when's that ever happen? See, you don't believe it yet. You've got, to, you've got to deal with that. Your mind has to be renewed to think the way God thinks. The spirit of your mind has to become like the mind of Christ. If God said it, it's so. You've got to learn to live that way. That makes you different. Makes you look foolish to the world, too, but that's the way you're supposed to live. Now, we said last week that there are in the world, they're called evil men and seducers. 
And the Bible warns us that they wax worse and worse, not only deceiving people, but themselves being deceived. And they cause people, 1 Timothy 4.1, by their teaching and by their <clears throat> effect, they cause people to depart from the faith. The Bible said they give heed to what? Seducing spirits and doctrines that depart from the truth, lead you astray. There is a way that seemeth right, but it's the wrong way, and it leads to what? Death. It's Proverbs 16. It leads to death. And so this is what a spirit does. This is what they are designed to do. They're agents of the devil. Evil spirits are. And, you know, the, the amount of understanding in the church today about evil spirits is, is really elementary. They have just enough of it to know that somewhere in the Bible it talks about Jesus cast out demons, and ooh, that stuff irks me. And so they don't like to, you know, well, they don't like to think that Christians could have demons or that Christians could have spirits. I've had to engage in a lot of conversations through the years with a lot of Pentecostals who don't think that Christians, because they have the Holy Ghost, that they can't have a, a demon. But I, I think Jesus described that in 2 Corinthians 11, that you can receive another spirit, that there you can receive another Christ. You fabricate one, and that's the better than the original. It's a spirit. And we're warned about all these warnings are, are not to the world. They are to us. Now, would you go one more time to 2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1, 2, 3. This is very graphic verse about falsehood, what it does, etc. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, 2, and 3. Peter writes, but there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately or craftily shall bring in damnable heresies. Now, what is a damnable heresy? Is it a heresy? Heresy means a choosing. It's choosing something. It's man's view of what he thinks it ought to be. It's you choose that instead of the word. And, and it becomes heretical because it causes you to disagree with God and Depart from the faith. It's a different way of walking. It's not the right way. And he said, these heresies, do you see the word damnable there? It's a damnable heresy. Now, this is, this is what's coming. Beware, he said, of things like this. Even denying the Lord that bought them and upon themselves bring swift destruction. And amazingly, in verse 2, it says, and many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And then it describes their character of false prophets in verse 3, and through covetous shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Now this doesn't have to happen, but we're warned that it does happen and it can happen. Even Jesus said, you that stand, take heed, lest you fall. Awake thou that sleepest. Pay attention to what's going on. The last days are here. Evil things are everywhere. Now, you know, I don't want you to become a bunch of spooky people looking for devils everywhere. You don't have to look for them. You just have to know where they are and what they do, and then you can deal with them. Because as far as I know, as far as I know, the only people on the earth that really can deal with the devil are those who know about it. Unless you think that in, without knowing anything about the devil and how he operates or his wiles, did the Bible speak of the wiles of the devil or his devices? We're not ignorant of his devices. If we don't know what they are, how can we deal with it? How would you know what's behind a situation? If a stranger walked in here and said he was a prophet, how would you know if he was or not? Does being able to prophesy make it genuine? What if you prophesy something that exactly comes to pass just like you prophesied it? Well, we're okay so far, but what if he opens his mouth and says something different than what the book says? No, we don't receive that. God will allow that. That's Deuteronomy 13. He will allow you to be tested that way. So we have to know who we're dealing with. We have to know what the devil does and how he does it. 
We have to heed the warnings. We have to pay attention because Jesus said in the last day in Matthew 24, three or four times, he said, beware of false prophets. Take heed that no man, a preacher or anybody else, take heed that no man deceive you. And he talks about in the last day, there shall be many false things going around. Many people will say, I'm of Christ or I am the Messiah. Jesus tells us in, in Mark 13 and Matthew 24, they shall show great signs and wonders that if possible, even the very elect would be deceived. In other words, it's going to be so dramatic and so real at the end that, well, as he said, even the very elect would be deceived if it weren't for God. It's going to look real and sound real. How many of you believe the devil can work miracles? He certainly can work miracles. He, I mean, he did it in the book of Genesis. When Moses threw his staff down, what happened to his staff when he was before Pharaoh in Exodus 7, somewhere in there? It turned into a serpent. It, that couldn't be done by the other guys, could it? Didn't the magicians do the same thing? I think it said he touched the water with that same staff and the rivers turned to blood. I think they could do that. So you see, just because a miracle is performed and somebody does an astounding thing doesn't mean it's genuine or real. You need to be cautious and careful. You need to pay attention, be sober and be circumspect and pay attention to details, to what people are saying, especially what people are saying. If somebody announces that he is some great one, look at how many movements just in the last 30 years in this amongst Pentecostals and Charismatics. Look how many movements have taken place. You, you have to think now to remember what it was now. Just a few years ago, but it's gone. It came and it went. It didn't last. They were laughing and barking at one time. Then they were falling down because somebody hollered bam, bam or something to them. All of that's gone. I mean, it isn't hard to look back and see the shallowness and in some cases the foolishness of what people were following. And we warn people. I think I've tried to in my lifetime. I've tried, I've tried to warn people. I dearly pray, I prayed this today, that, that surely the generation that I got saved in it hasn't left you younger folks out of information that you need. We gathered this in a long time ago because not only was it new, but it, it was made real to us. I mean, it was like a necessary thing to know. And yet through the years, and as I've watched, it seemed like fewer and fewer people show an interest in being equipped, able to fight the good fight of faith. More and more people seem susceptible to the attacks of the devil, uh, they're not good with their shield. They don't know what kind of sword they have. They don't know where the enemy comes from. They're not aware of his devices, and they've been taught. I just pray that people will pay attention in the last days. Because remember, and I want you to turn to this in, in Jeremiah 14, if you will, before we get started. In Jeremiah chapter 14. If you're new with your Bible, it's sort of in the middle to the right. Jeremiah 14 and verse 10. Listen to these words. Thus saith the Lord unto this people, Thus have they loved to wander. Now that's our word for deceive in the New Testament, planao, but this is a Hebrew word, but it means the same thing. It means to wander. My people have loved to wander. Now think about something here. God reached a verdict against these people and the way they lived in light of what he said. He said things and they sort of either took it for granted or eh, whatever. And they followed their instincts. They followed their intellect or their feelings or what was sensible or reasonable, like people do today. They just sort of be... They were victims of whatever everybody else was doing or how they felt about it. Nothing was absolute. Everything is sort of iffy, and they just loved to wonder. And God was against that kind of an attitude. He said, this is what I have against you. You people love to wonder. 
You don't want to be restrained. You don't want to be restricted. It's like come out from the world and be separate. You don't want to do that because of the effect that it has on your mind when people reject you. So he said, you like to wander. You just like to be wherever and whatever. Listen to this. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord doth not what? Now, why would God, in one verse of Scripture, just in one verse of Scripture, why would God reject his people? Because they loved to wonder. They loved being free. Let's put it that way. You heard people say, I'm free. Well, it's good to be free. I am too. They love to wander. They have not restrained their feet. They have not drawn a boundary and refused to cross it. They have not stayed with what God has said. They've kind of disregarded it and kind of, you know, gone their way being cool. And God says, therefore, the Lord doth not accept them. He will now remember their iniquities and visit their sins. Now listen, verse 11. Then said the Lord unto me, pray not for this people, for their good. Would God ever say that? He did. He did. He said, don't even pray for this. Has there ever been a time in somebody in your life that you had a hard time praying for? Now, I have. There's been people say, we need to pray for so-and-so, and I have a difficult time praying for so-and-so. It's not because I'm anti-so-and-so, but sometimes it's just not much of a burden there at all. Could it be this? I don't know. I don't know. But he said, pray not for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and an oblation, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword and by the famine and by the pestilence. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say unto them, You shall not see the sword, neither shall you have famine. But I will give you assured peace in this place. That's modern prophets today. Everything is good. Then the Lord said unto me, The prophets prophesy lies in my name. I sent them not, neither have I commanded them, neither spake unto them. They prophesy unto you a false vision and divination and a thing of naught and the deceit of their hearts. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the prophets that prophesy in my name, and I sent them not. Yet they say, sword and famine shall not be in this land. By sword and famine shall those prophets be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and of the sword, and they shall have none to bury them, neither their wives nor their children and so forth. You know, and if you connect that with the last verse, in chapter 5, which says, The priests rule by their own means, and the prophets prophesy falsely. And he said, And yet my people love to have it so. In chapter 5, verse 31. And, and then, but it ends with this. But what will you do in the end? If you're not making the distinction, if you're not carefully listening to what is being said today, and if you're not comparing what is being said by somebody with whether or not it agrees with Scripture then you're going to follow whatever makes sense to you, and that's what most Christians do. That's what most of them do. Not everybody, but most of them. And so he warns them here. He warns them. He said, I told you that uh, they came to you and they said this. I talked to a man the other day. He had a conversation with the man the other day, and I don't know how many times in the conversation he said, well, this, this is what the Lord told me. Now, the Lord told me this, and and." I said, now, what, he said, he started that one time. I said, no, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. Now, you said the Lord told you that. That means I can't disagree with what you're going to say if you say what something I think is wrong. Because I'm not going to disagree with God. Now, if God told you something, I, I'm, I, I'm out. And he said something, and I said, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Is that wrong for me to do that? I just said, I don't believe that. Why do you have to lace all your conversation with the Lord told me? that You know what the Lord told me? You know what the Lord told me? I guess it'd be good to hear the Lord's voice that much and that often. I think it would also be a very weighty thing on your life. I'm sure prophets lived that way. I assume that they did because they always knew what to do. But it, to me, it's kind of a, I don't know, 
it's a different dimension for me to think about in every little conversation the Lord tells me what kind of ice cream to buy or what kind of what brand of water to drink. Would you believe that? And just, you know, the Lord this, the Lord that, the Lord this, the Lord that. Jesus said, I didn't send these people. I didn't speak to them. They told you I said all of this. And you have to believe them. If God said something, you have to believe it. I don't know how often in our lives, well, the Lord showed me this. And they get through telling what the Lord showed them. I'm thinking, well, that's not what he showed me. Now, one of us is wrong. I'm going to go to the Word and find out if, if I'm right or, or not, and, and I'm going to stay with this book. So it, back to what I'm intended to say, it is a serious matter in Scripture for God's people who are going to walk with Jesus through this life to the end. They're going to put their hands on the plow to make sure that no man talks you out of the truth that makes you free. Because that's the only thing in this life you have to bring freedom into your life is the truth. And that's the one thing that is a target of the devil. Now, tonight, why then do people follow false things or false ways? How does it happen? Let me give you at least five ways that I see that it does happen or five effects or five reasons why people follow false things. First of all, they're under, they're under delusion. They're deluded. They have information that is wrong, but it makes as though it's right. It seems as though it's right. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 11, and let's look in verse 3. Now, Paul, in speaking to, to these Corinthians referencing actually false brethren who had been coming by Corinth after Paul left. These men came in after Paul to refute and, dis and, and tear down whatever Paul said. to try to, And it really confused the people. He did it in Colossae and he did it in Corinth. And Paul, writing back to them in this book of 2 Corinthians, he says, but I fear lest by any means, as a serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety or his craftiness, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You all see that? For if he that cometh preaches another Jesus. Now let's stop right there for just a moment. What, what would that mean? Now we're trying to study to get this right. If somebody comes to me and preaches another Jesus, he would have to start with the name anyway, Jesus, and he'd have to use the scripture or we wouldn't sit here. So if somebody goes to the scripture, points out something about Jesus here. Now, what if he takes something that Jesus said and makes it mean something else? For example, take healing, the message of healing. A lot of people today, and I'm, talk, I'm not talking about bad people, I'm talking about good people. A lot of people today, maybe with misinformation and really don't know any better, maybe some are just deluded like we're talking here. And some are afraid to believe that it might not be anything but this. They come and they say, well, look, I believe Jesus did all of that. We can't refute his life in the Gospels. We know that he healed and, and we read about it over and over and over. In fact, it says he healed all that came to him several times. He said he healed them all, left nobody out. Now, you contrast that with a lot of the way that Jesus is presented today, that he doesn't do that today. What he did then was in a different time zone, a different covenant. And what he did then, he did for those people then. It was necessary then for them to know who he was. It was very dramatic and so on and so forth. That's why it was so often instant and uh, right away. And, and uh, it had to be done then. But now today, that's not, he's not doing that today. See, we have progressed down through time and learning and education. We have, we have a higher level of health care today than they could have ever known. And so we no longer need uh, miracles and signs and wonders because, well, we have, we have drugs and hospitals and doctors and machines and apparatuses and inventions and laboratories, and God has given us that for our healing. That's the way we should be healed today. 
Now, that's another Jesus. Now, all that stuff is true. All that stuff out there that is invented, and there are a lot of people who need that because they cannot trust the Lord or don't know how to. And so that's there for them. And, and for any, you know, the failings or weaknesses, uh, it, there is something there. But for us as Christians, God has provided Jesus to be our healer. Now that's the Jesus in the New Testament. He even told his disciples, he said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. And what did he go to do? The Bible said he went about, in 1 John, he said he went about destroying the works of the devil. What was the works of the devil? Well, all manner of sickness and disease was. That's his work. Can Christians have sicknesses or disease today? Well, that's who this message is for. It's for us, for those amongst us. When Jesus talked about children's bread, remember that? Children's bread, was he talking to the world or was he talking to his own? It must have been his own, he said, because it's children's bread. It's not right to take children's bread and give it to dogs. God's people need children's bread. Has it passed away? Well, then it's still, it's still available. So, see, we start thinking, I do anyway, I start thinking that way. This Jesus today doesn't do what he used to do. This newfangled Jesus today only requires you to smile and say, I love you. This new Jesus today has this new language. He goes, come on, man. Oh, come on. Come, come on. And that excuses and dismisses and so forth. It's a different Jesus I mean, the Jesus that we're reading about in the Sermon on the Mount is the same Christ that dwells in the heart of believers. And Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he would take the things that Jesus said and would show them to you. You know what he said? So that as he lives, so should we live. To be like Jesus, to be like him. We should aspire to be like him, but we can't be like him if we don't know who he is. Now, if you show me a Jesus that's not like this one in the Bible, my life is all wrong. Now, listen, if somebody comes to you and preaches another Jesus, not the biblical Jesus, but a fabricated Jesus, and what's the second thing say in verse 3? Or if you receive what? Another spirit. Is that possible? Unless you receive another spirit, then there are situations in which people's minds, thinking can be distorted, the scripture can be misrepresented, and an angel of light, which operates by a spirit of deception, you receive that, you, you, you get a spirit. You get a spirit that controls you because that's what it does. You get a spirit whose information is flawed, but it pleases. You don't know if it's right or wrong. You just know that a lot of people are doing it, and I'm fine with me. It's a deceiving spirit. It's hard to say some of this, and yet it's not hard, because we're living in a day in which it says evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse deceiving and being deceived. When deception comes, you get Galatians 3 and verse 1. Now, Galatians 3, 1, if you'll take a moment to find it, it's right after Ezekiel. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. No, it's not. It's, it's right before Ephesians, isn't it? In Galatians chapter 3 and verse, and verse 1, Paul had somewhat of a problem with these Galatians too. He said in verse 1, O oh, foolish Galatians, he said, Who, who hath bewitched you? I'll ask you, is that possible for a church member to be bewitched? The word has to do with like being fascinated. That's an occult type word, fascinate because it means to hold under a spell. Again, the idea of control. 
fascination. It's the effect of a spirit, not the Holy Spirit, in changing the way you do things and see things and the way you function. When you don't do it God's way, because you've exchanged what he said for what a man said, man's fables, in 2 Timothy 4, when you begin to do it that way, there's a spirit that goes with why you do that, and the spirit prompts you either to make excuses, to justify yourself, whatever it is, for why you don't exactly see it you know, the way everybody else does. But the word bewitch means to mislead by pretenses. It's a pretentious spirit. To mislead. It means to influence by charms. You ever heard of a charm bracelet? Well, we'll leave that out for right now. But this is what the word bewitch means. And as somebody, he said, has bewitched you, who has cast an evil spell upon you. That's what this metaphor is referring to. Paul said to the people that he labored amongst, labored. Spent a lot of time with laboring, answering questions, praying and teaching and, and dealing with people for a long time. And he comes back. He comes back to them. And he said, like in chapter 5, he said, you were running well. You were doing well at one time. Who in the world corrupted you? You remember what he said in chapter 1, verse 6? He said, if anybody, anybody, even an angel... If they preach any other gospel than what we have preached to you, let him be anathema. Let him be cursed. That's the other side of the truth is a curse. We don't like to say it that way because in this weak age that we're in, it sounds so offensive to be so narrow or to be so defined about the biblical truth. Let them say what they want to say. Think what people want to think. This is the only thing we have in this life by which we can please God and overcome the devil. And people think, well, you're too narrow or you're too this. Fine. You say what you want to say. I don't think I am, but I'm not going to play with any other way. This word bewitched is also referred to as probably meant by an evil eye. Because they believed there was a belief, and it's probably still true because I've seen hypnotists, I've watched hypnotists in doing their work stare very deeply at the, at the subject they're hypnotizing. I mean, kind of penetrating stare. And they used to refer to this as the evil eye. And the evil eye, the effect of the evil eye was to subdue the person you're talking to and control them. You Like casting a spell over it. Well, that's what is meant by bewitched. And Paul said, he said, who hath, oh foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched? And now the, uh, what's that translation that says, oh stupid Galatians? Phillips. Oh stupid. Now see, that's a strong word. That's a little strong. But he said, oh foolish Galatians, because that's what they were. Oh foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Listen, that you should not obey the truth. Who has so misinformed you and captured your affections and your, and your sensibilities that you no longer have to obey what God said? It's not even required anymore. You don't have to listen. My dad told me once that he never read the Bible because he might get it wrong. Well, guess what he was subject to all of his life? Whatever the Catholic Church taught. And he assumed because he was captured by that system that whatever that system told him, he could not resist it. He was deluded. Like this first point, he had a deluding spirit because he had that thing working in him and controlling him. Look at chapter 4. Look at verse 9. This is a pretty serious verse. But now, after that you have known God, or rather are known of God, what does that mean? Did Paul say, after I taught you, you knew who he was? Now, I don't think you do. I think he knows who you are, but I don't think you know him. 
He said, how in the world do you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements wherein you desire again to be in bondage? Probably referring to the law and the legal, the, the Ten Commandments and the aspects of the law they wanted them to keep. You know, they wanted the certain rituals and routines and all of that. They wanted that to continue to be practiced as what was a part of Christianity. And Paul said, who taught you that? Who taught you we had to observe days and moons and festivals? That's all been fulfilled in Christ. You desire somebody to come again and bring you back into a system that destroyed you? Oh, foolish Galatians, who has done this to you? Then in chapter 5, I think I briefed this a moment ago, and Verse 7 and 8, he said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? That's the second time he said that. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And what did he say? A little what? A little leaven? Leaveneth a whole lump. You know what I'm saying tonight? How serious it is when we don't pay attention, we don't do what's right. We cannot do what we're supposed to do if we don't know what we're supposed to do. You cannot follow the Lord if you don't know where the Lord is going or what instructions he gave to follow. So we do our best with our feeble attempts at our little minds to learn as much as we can to share and to teach because we want people, we want people to do right. We do. We want us to be pleasing unto God. So people are deceived or people get twisted because they're deluded. There's another spirit that operates in them. Second reason, another reason that I think that people get this way is because they desire the broad way. They desire the way of liberty and freedom and no, no restrictions. That verse of Scripture come out from among them in 2 Corinthians 6 and be ye separate. See, that can mean to some people whatever they want it to mean, and they're in a system which says it's okay to think like that because, after all, nobody has a right to tell you how to interpret Scripture. Well, then why did he put teachers in the church? Why put teachers in the church if it doesn't matter how you believe? Well, let everybody just believe whatever they want. That's in the book of Judges. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. You had chaos. But people do desire the broad way. They're really not willing to endure sound doctrine because sound doctrine requires so much time and attention. It seemed like growing up and getting saved and learning about the truth, it's so much in me just doesn't want to give up what I've always been or done. And I look around at all the people who don't religious systems that don't require anything of its people. And I think, you know, they seem to be having fun. They seem to be doing all right. And here we are taking notes. And they kind of make fun of us taking notes. Were y'all going to school? Well, hopefully something like that. It's what we're here for, I think, to learn. Jesus said, feed his sheep. Feed my sheep. Told that to Peter. The Greek word poimeno, which means to shepherd, to oversee, to feed, lead them to grazing lands and then make sure they eat. That's what we got to do. Or I could put a big funny hat on and paint my face real good and make everybody laugh. <laughs> and we could have an entertainment night. I love that church because it's fun. Well, it's all right to have fun. Fun's not in the Bible, but it's all right to have fun. But life is going to get, and I know you'll believe this, but life is coming down at that time in history when things are going to start getting real serious. The world is in a nut mode. Crazy people are getting their hands on the wrong kind of switches. And it's the time we're living. We have only, for our peace, we have only the surety of what God has promised and the people in this hour who have peace are the people who believe that. But the broad way is a way, it's a feel-good way, it's a make-me-feel-good, a popular way, and you don't hear much talk about sin because sin oppresses people to talk of sin and being sinful. So you kind of leave that uh, message out, and it's sort of a feel-good situation, center-friendly church. 
But people like that, so therefore they never learn. And a third reason that people get off this way is because of system security. System security. Like my dad I was speaking of. My dad found his security, his religious tomorrows, were all taken care of by what he believed the system assured him. The biggest system in the world is the Catholic Church. Christian system, the biggest in the world by far. And my dad was a part of that. It didn't really matter to him what the Bible said because people find security in the fact that we can't be wrong. All of us can't be wrong. These guys that are teaching, you know, they put themselves into a vow and they've taken oaths and, and uh, they labor in the word and they're dedicated to, to live for my sake and therefore I'm trusting what they tell me. And the system is not very confining, at least the one I described with my dad. It was only required that you do a few things, that you say your Hail Marys and your Our Fathers and do the rosary and, and attend church and, and give and, and get in the box with, with Padre every now and then and tell him you're sorry. And you don't know what that is. That's a confession booth. But that's, that's not important. And so it's, it's easy, and it's comfortable, and it's pleasing, and there's a lot of us. And so they're counting on the fact that this will work. And it's convenient because it even has a clause in its system about purgatory, which means if you didn't just go to heaven, or if you deserve the bad place, there's a middle side, there's a place in the middle called purgatory, and in that place, after a certain amount of time, enough candles or whatever, you can get out of there. I don't mean to make fun of it any more than I think than Elijah said to those false prophets at Mount Carmel, what's the matter, is your God asleep? How many of you know he didn't believe in their God? He mocked them. And they only proved themselves to be very vulnerable when it came down to it. But a fourth reason is that people are satisfied with a form and a spirit of slumber. It's not important. You hear it all the time. It doesn't matter what church you go to. It, don't, it doesn't matter what you belong to. And, and this is what they've come to the conclusion of. They're all going to the same place. One's no better than the other one. And this ecumenical spirit of this age, which the one world church that is coming is going to be a blending together of religions in the world. The few exceptions will be people like us and others who refuse to give up our, our convictions or our, our beliefs for the system. And there's just a lot of people that just doesn't matter. They don't pay attention. They're not interested. They go to church. They're just not interested. See them all the time. No matter what you say, and I've, I'm a, I've grieved over this myself a lot. You preach what you know is true, and you watch people receive it, and it not affected any. Not a thing you say affects their lives. You could just read it, just read the Scripture. This is what God uses to make us free. You could just read the Scripture, and people can look at you with their arms folded and be somewhere else. Romans. Romans 11, pray this is not referring to any of you. Romans 11, verse 8. Now, Lord, I pray this is not for anybody in this room or anybody that's listening out there. But this is possible. Listen at this. Romans 11 and verse 8. For God has given them. Who? That makes it pretty serious. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now he's speaking about the Jewish people, which is true. Which is true. But it's also true in another sense in the church, with people that have been put to sleep by a message which has no meaning, and therefore it's not necessary to listen and pay attention to it. You've heard it a thousand times, heard it before. 
the same old, same old. Nothing's changed. And so they, uh, they don't take much stock in it. It's not a big deal. It says that they have eyes to see and they can't see. They have ears to hear. They cannot hear. You'll find things like that said in Isaiah 6 and verse 9, Isaiah 29 and verse 10. Similar things to that. So there's a certain danger. Now, hear me out. A people who want to go to church without the intention of hearing what God has to say to them personally. And I can say that in my lifetime and growing up in a Christian church back in Indiana, I don't know when I ever went to church for any other reason than you're supposed to at Sunday morning. I went forward when I was 11 years old for one reason, so I could take communion the rest of the Sundays. Every time I had passed that thing by before I had to pass to somebody else, I couldn't take communion because I hadn't been baptized. So I finally went forward and got baptized. I didn't get saved. Didn't even know what saved meant. Had no clue. Had a foul conscience. And I couldn't, that thing was terrible in my life. But it didn't mean anything to me about going to, going to church and learning anything or gaining anything at all. And I sat there like most folks do. I just, it's just church. Look at my watch. When's he going to quit? It's time to quit. Mrs. Cartwright's headed for the organ. We just looked at our watch. I remember the pastor when we, when I got saved, he used to say all that was required of him before we all got saved and we all started studying. He said, I had it made in this church. I had it made. All I had on Sunday morning was 20 minutes of double Space, two type pages, three type pages, and I'd read it and make a few comments in between. That, and nobody knew what you said. Nobody cared what you said. You, you can talk all you want to. People are there because they're supposed to be there. And then we got saved. A bunch of us got saved in June 30th, 1968, and it kept going more and more. Then we, get, we got real lively. Start asking questions a preacher couldn't answer. He had to study. He told me one time, he said, I've studied more since, since y'all had that movement. So I've had to study all the time just to keep up. He even told me once he thinks he got saved during that time. Maybe he did. I don't know. I'm just saying that something good happens when you get your heart right with the Lord and you get hungry. And you're no longer satisfied with just attendance and you overcome that spirit of slumber or that God gave, the thing is removed and now you're alive. And then another reason I think that people get off track is because of signs and wonders. They follow signs and wonders. They want something done all the time, some kind of a gift to operate, and they praise God for gifts. But like I said, the devil can work miracles. And you have to be careful when you're following signs and wonders, you have to pay attention. What do they teach? What are they saying? What doctrines do they espouse? Or what, what are they requiring of you? Or what are they saying to you when they teach? Or do they teach for 10 minutes and then work miracles for an hour? I remember we had a fellow in our church once back in 1970. His name is Kenneth Hagan. He came to our little church there just to preach. He was there two different years, one after the other. And I remember one time he preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, all through the week until the following Sunday morning and Sunday night and preached the same sermon, the same text every time. I thought that was so unusual, but I didn't care because I wanted him to hurry up and get through that so we could watch things happen. It's like we weren't really paying attention. It didn't even matter what was said, he wasn't teaching anything wrong. He, just, he said something the first day, and as it said it, the same thing the rest of the week. And we kind of laugh, because <laughs> we didn't care. Do something. Work a miracle. Let us watch people fall. <gasps> and this and that. I remember one night I, I sat up on the front row so I could be one of the catchers. So when they started going down, I could catch them. And so he said, all of you that want to receive the Holy Ghost tonight, come in. they all, a bunch of them came up there. 
And we're thinking, well, you know, they're standing there in front of me. He said, now, I want you all to go downstairs with Brother Hamilton. And he's going to lead you all in a prayer, and God's going to fill you all with the Holy Spirit. I thought, I don't want to go downstairs with these people. I want to stay up here. So I took them all downstairs, and I could hear them thudding and thumping up there. And Thank God for miracles and signs and wonders, seeing a true healing or somebody raised from the dead or something genuinely good happen. But if that's all you get, something's left out of your life. I was in Cleveland, Ohio years ago, speaking at a full gospel businessmen's fellowship. And they had me in the home of this fellow. I stayed with an older gentleman and his wife. And this man followed Branham and Roberts's early days, and, and he mentioned some others, Richie, whoever. Some of the early pioneers of last century that were mighty in the tent meetings and uh, had great followings. They didn't say that much. They said very little, but they had great followings. And I remember that night in the church, a lot of people came to the business meeting, you know, as everybody laughed because I gave my testimony. It was funny and all that. Ha, ha, ha. But when it came to the teaching, the first night I taught on faith, there was 30 or 40 there. And the next night, I think there was about 10. I'm not interested in that. And I remember going home that night, sitting down there at the dinner, eating with this fellow and his wife. And on his plate, he had a whole bunch of pills and capsules. Must have had 10 of them. And I thought, Man, you followed all those people around, and yet, uh, how many of you believe that it's one thing to follow a ministry and it's something else to gain the Word of God in your heart so that you can overcome and rise above? So he saw me look at his pills. I think he said as much as, well, you know, the men that we follow didn't teach much about that stuff you're talking about. Stuff. And he says, uh, but they did great miracles. He said, you ever do that kind of stuff, work miracles? I said, no. I haven't been blessed like that. Boy, they did. You should, you know, you should have been there. I would have loved to have seen it. I would have loved to have been there. Branham died before I got saved. I would have loved to have seen him. I wouldn't have cared to hear him. Because his teaching was, was bad at the end, but I would love to watch. I'd like to see the genuine power of God if it was still genuine. I would love to. Wouldn't you? Of course you would. If a miracle or a sign or a wonder never did happen, but there was a rich word presented to God's people and we would receive it, I would much rather have, have that and stand at the end of my days full of the word of God and not wonder why I didn't get healed and wonder why this didn't happen. I would like to know what God has us to know than to be gifted and do all these other things. But I think we can have both. I think there's pretty good reasons. The older I get, the more I can see why perhaps God doesn't work miracles in places like he used to. People are losing interest in a lot of the ways of God. And I don't know that God's going to awaken us with a gift or power. I don't know if he will or not. He could, certainly could. I don't know that he will. But signs and wonders uh, are not the proof of the genuine uh, deal. But when somebody's preaching the word of God and a good sign or a miracle happens and it confirms the word, praise the Lord for that. But folks, all of you, always pay attention to what anybody says. And anybody who speaks not according to this word, it's because they have no light. They may be skilled and gifted speakers. That'd be nice, too, if you could have that. They may be very gifted in their presentation and all of that. But if they speak not according to the word of God, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go where they're going because it's darkness. So while it may make you look like a narrow-minded, dogmatic, legalistic something to always want to prove what somebody said, whether or not it's in the Word, I think that's what's assigned to you. You don't have to do it with a bad spirit. You don't have to be ugly or, or above everybody to do that. You can do it very humbly. Sometimes you just have to say, you know, I don't, I don't think I can receive what he said tonight because the Bible says 
And you'll find somebody will say, why do you have to be so legalistic? And you could answer, say, you mean legalistic because I'm taking the word as my source and not him? Let me be legalistic then. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that we'll have a heart that's like a basket that you can place your word in and we'll keep it and cherish it and love it and hold fast to it and depend on it and rely on it and believe you for it. We ask you tonight in Jesus' name to give us liberty and understanding to do things the way you want us to do it. Just make us to know. Make us to know and deliver us as Jesus taught us to pray and deliver us from evil. Father, we only pass through this earth one time. It's very brief. I pray that you would help us to take advantage of our briefness to get it right, to get it right and cherish it. May Jesus reign in our midst May he be Lord of our lives, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.